Hello everyone and welcome back to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode. If you're new, welcome. Basically what this show does is every week I choose a topic that I don't know enough about. I research it, write up a little you know, outline and report back to you so we can all learn together. Most things are kind of history based and so this week is no different. We are talking about the Whiskey Rebellion. Now, the Whiskey Rebellion was a big thing in Western Pennsylvania. And so I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back to my Pennsylvania notes, but I'm pretty sure I first kind of came across this um, in my Pennsylvania episode. I remember learning about it in school, but at this point it was, I probably learned about it in like eighth grade, honestly. So it's been a while. I didn't remember any of the details of the Whiskey Rebellion, what happened with it. So in my Pennsylvania episode, I said, okay, these years the Whiskey Rebellion happened and didn't have a lot of time to like dive in. So I'm making good on the promise that I would circle back to the Whiskey Rebellion and kind of review it. It's very, very fascinating history. And so we are going to go over it. So I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get right into it. Okay, let's get right into it and give a little synopsis of the Whiskey Rebellion. Just basically, very, very generally, what caused it, what happened, how it got resolved, all of that. And then we'll get into very detailed specifics here. So, the Whiskey Rebellion was basically an uprising of both farmers and distillers uh, in Western Pennsylvania in 1794. Now there were years of tensions and aggressions that led up to 1794 between tax collectors and the farmers and distillers because the federal government enacted a uh, tax on whiskey that basically the distillers and the farmers thought disproportionately affected smaller distillers and so people thought it was an unfair law. They protested. Again, it was years and years of tensions before it really escalated in 1794. President Washington was the president at the time, and so he had to send in troops to try to kind of quell this. And then basically the, the um, fallout from this was that the rebellion and the um, protests and all this uh, resistance towards this tax and this law really built support for the Republican Party, which ended up overtaking the Federalist Party, which Washington was a part of, and the Republicans ended up winning power in 1802. So the other major, I guess, significance of the Whiskey Rebellion is that this basically acted as the first big test of the authority of the U.S. federal government. So the government was basically brand new. They were testing out this you know, structure with the state power and the federal power over it, but there hadn't been a, a major test of its authority or, you know, what could be done in, if something like this happened. So this was really the first big test of the new government. Okay, so let's lay out the cause of how this actually happened. So essentially, during the Revolutionary War, there were individual states that incurred pretty significant amounts of debt 
and you know they all differed based on state. So Alexander Hamilton wanted the federal government to take over all of the state debt and kind of consolidate it to the federal government. Around 1790, he started kind of proposing this idea. He also proposed a new ta- new tax on whiskey so that the states could prevent uh, you know, incurring more debt. He basically wanted to stop the bleeding of debt um, accumulation. And so he thought that, you know, task- taxing, I keep saying tasking, uh, taxing whiskey could help prevent that. Now, George Washington, who was, again, he was president at this time, he was opposed to it, but he decided to go around and talk to the local governments in Virginia and Pennsylvania about their views on the tax, you know, to try to be more representative of what the people thought, what the local governments thought. And when he did that, most of the local governments and and people who were elected were in favor of this tax. So Washington went back to Congress, reported that news, reported what he had seen, um, and they ended up actually passing the tax. Which, honestly, like, it it didn't turn out great, um, as we'll find out here. But I do think it's really interesting that Washington, and probably why he was a a very, very good leader, he was opposed to it, but he wanted the people to be speaking and the people to be represented more than just his own opinion. You know, we've read about George Washington and how he didn't want to be seen as, like, a king, and that's why he, you know, said, oh, I'll only serve two terms, and he wanted this government to be different than what they had just left. And so this is a great example of that where he was opposed, but he's like, let me go put in the work and see kind of what the people actually think because it's less about what he individually wanted and more what the people uh, thought was best. So they ended up passing passing the tax um, even though he individually was opposed to the tax. Okay. Immediately, once um, the tax was passed, the protests started beginning. So what distillers and farmers were arguing was that the tax was unfair for smaller producers. So for bigger producers, they were uh, taxed six cents per gallon of whiskey. But the smaller distillers and producers were uh, taxed nine cents per gallon. So it was kind of they felt unfairly punishing small uh, producers of whiskey. So violence started breaking out pretty quickly. So the law was passed in 1790, or I guess that's really when Hamilton, you know, even started proposing that the federal government take over this debt and pass this tax. So things are happening very quickly because September 11th, 1791 is when violence really started breaking out. So there were, like I mentioned, a lots of lots of tensions between the producers and the tax collectors. So there was an excise officer named Robert Johnson. And on September 11th, 1791, he was tarred and feathered. So 11 men went and dressed up as women and like to trick him, basically. They surrounded him, they stole his horse, and then he was tarred and feathered. So not good. I used to think tarring and feathering like killed you automatically, but it didn't. It sounds like the people who were tarred and feathered uh, survived. 
obviously not a good experience, but um, it didn't sound like he died. But he recognized um, two of the people who had tarred and feathered him. So he, once he was free and, and back, I guess, to normal, he sent warrants out for two of the men who had done this to him. And he sent out a man named John Connor with those warrants. Now, he ha was also tarred and feathered. So the violence just kept continuing and kept continuing. There were some local county governments that met. That met um, and there was kind of a mixed review on what they wanted to do. Some of these local governments wanted a full rebellion. Like they wanted to all out fight and everything. And some just wanted to change the law and kind of mediate and do things in a more peaceful way. By the way, I'm basically summarizing all of these from this history.com um, website about the Whiskey Rebellion. It lays it out very, very clearly. So I will link that in the description below so you can go see uh, the actual article. Okay, the next big uh, instance of violence was in 1794. So this was known as the attack on Bower Hill. So it was the summer of 1794 and there was a federal marshal named David Lennox. He started serving writs to 60 distillers in Western Pennsylvania, basically writing them up for not paying the tax. Um, because from what I understand and from what this article was saying, it was just very hard to enforce paying a tax. A lot of people would just simply not pay, like they would just refuse. And they couldn't really do anything other than serving writs to these distillers. So on July 14th, Lennox accepted the services of tax collector and wealthy landowner John Neville as a guide through Allegheny County. On July 15th, so the next day after he, you know, accepted the services. So, so remember, John Neville is the tax collector and a wealthy landowner. landowner and Lennox is serving the Ritz. Okay. The next day on July 15th, they went to the home of a man named William Miller. He refused to accept his summons. So I guess this is like summoning him to court. Um, this whole argument broke out. Lennox and Neville rode off. And as they rode off, there was this big angry mob, literally with like pitchforks and guns. They said in this article that some people in the crowd were thought to be drunk because they were just like this huge, angry, like unruly mob that confronted Lennox and Neville. Uh, this says that someone had told the mob that federal agents were dragging people away, but Lennox and Neville were allowed to pass once that, oh, were, okay, so they were allowed to pass once they understood that that was untrue. So. It had been kind of blown out of proportion. People had been told that these agents were dragging people away to jail. And so they were able to explain, like, we're not dragging anyone away. We're just serving people with the summons to the court. But there was a shot fired as the two men rode away. The next day, on July 16th, this is happening in very quick <laughs> succession, Neville was in his house and he was awakened because a huge crowd of men were at his home on Bower Hill. Now, I guess uh, Lennox was also there because the mob basically said that Lennox needed to come with them because there was a threat to his life. 
Now, it wasn't maybe a mob at this point. It just said a crowd of men. So maybe the vibes weren't the same as the full unruly mob that had met them before. But there was a group of men that said, hey, Lennox needs to come with us. There's a threat to his life. Neville uh, didn't believe them and told them to leave. They refused to leave his home, refused to leave his property. So it ended up escalating and Neville shot at the crowd and he killed a man named Oliver Miller. This obviously upsetted, or upset, <laughs> upsetted. This obviously upset the crowd, which now is described in the article as a mob. So the mob shot back at the house. Um, Neville then ran back inside his home and sounded a signal horn. And I guess the signal horn signified to his slaves to like that there was trouble. So the slaves started attacking the crowd, shooting at them. It turned out after this whole um, like attack or counterattack or, or whatever that six mob members were wounded and they fled with Oliver Miller's body who had just been killed by Neville. So that was like the confrontation at his house. But then the mob left and reconvened that night and declared that they would get revenge on Neville for killing Oliver Miller. They created a flag for the rebellion, so now it's like a full-blown, this is what's kind of known as the Whiskey Rebellion because they created like a flag for the rebellion. It had 13 stars with an eagle who was holding a red and white ribbon um, and it had a dark blue background. So they kind of made it more official with this flag that, hey, we are in full rebellion against this. Okay, then the next day, July 17th, 1794, 700 men marched to Neville's home and demanded a surrender. Now, it was like 700 to 10, you know, because there were 10 soldiers that had come to defend Bower Hill and 700 of the opposing people came, the opposing mob. So it wasn't great odds, um, but they came to defend Bower Hill and someone said that Neville was not there. He had helped him escape uh, and hidden in a ravine. But the mob demanded that the soldiers surrendered. The soldiers obviously refused. And so the mob set fire to a barn and the slave housing on the property. Then they basically let the women and children um, flee. But once they had fled, the mob just opened fire on the house. So there was back and forth shooting and it's this whole other confrontation. But the mob leader, James McFarlane, was killed. So in this chaos, the mob leader is killed. Everyone, it just escalates a whole other level. And so the mob set fire to all other buildings on the estate. So finally, the soldiers surrendered and they really couldn't do anything at this point And they just kind of had to watch the entire estate burn. Um, okay. Then a few days later, the mob ended up meeting with some local dignitaries and local governments. And um, these local dignitaries said that, you know, Washington is going to send a militia to strike down the mob and keep everyone in order. Um, a, a mail carrier was attacked. So a man named David Bradford and a few other men, I don't know why they're not named, but I guess the, the kind of ringleader of it, his name was David Bradford. And 
he and his men attacked a mail carrier coming through Pennsylvania. And when they attacked him, they found three letters from Pittsburgh that expressed disapproval of the Neville attack. So Bradford went back and went to his mob. Now there were like 7,000 of them. And he went back and used these letters as fuel to make everyone angry to say, hey, look, like there's these letters coming from Pittsburgh. They don't approve of us, you know, and this attack, even though we were in the right. So he kind of like riled all these men up. There were 7,000 of them. And he said, let's go attack Pittsburgh. So now there's a threat to Pittsburgh, like the capital. I think it's the capital. <laughs> um, and this is really bad news for the state, obviously. You don't want 7,000 men showing up to, like, attack everything in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh caught wind of this, and they sent a delegation with a gift of several whiskey barrels, and they came with an announcement that the letter writers had been expelled from the city to try to just calm everyone down. Like, hey, you don't have to attack Pittsburgh. We've already taken care of it we basically disassociate with these letter writers here's some whiskey for you and you know let's all just make peace kind of it basically kind of implied that the crowd drank deep it's a it drank deeply of these whiskey barrels so everyone got too drunk and they no longer wanted to like set fire to pittsburgh it worked to kind of quell this down and the 7,000 men instead just got permission to peacefully march through Pittsburgh to kind of show their resistance and show that they were in the right, but they weren't going to, you know, they were too drunk and feeling good to actually do any harm to Pittsburgh. So that was kind of the first, like, success in calming down the, the mob. Okay, so then Hamilton wanted to send troops to Pennsylvania, but Washington wanted a peace envoy instead. So Hamilton immediately wanted to just show the authority of the, the government, which seems to be kind of his MO, is more federal power, where Washington was like, nah, let's try to keep things a little calm instead. But so he sent a peace envoy instead. It ended up failing. And then there was violence against the Supreme Court Justice James Wilson. And after they had attacked James Wilson, that is what caused President Washington to rule that a military response was in fact needed. So he assumed emergency power and he assembled 12,000 men as a federal militia. So this is kind of where the idea of like, you need a well-formed militia. Um, this is really put in practice. So if there was like an emergency, he would then go and assemble men. So they got 12,000 men to form their militia. Um, so Washington then first met with the rebels and, you know, he just wanted to say like, what's the deal here? Why is this <laughs> still, you know, why the violence essentially? And the rebels assured him that there was order everything was fine the militia was not needed and they tried to assure him that everything was okay there would be no more violence however washington wanted to keep the militia intact until their submission was actually proven like there was proof that there would be no more violence so he kept it intact 
because it wasn't like a standing army like it is now like we have the army that is just on call at at ready you know always at the ready this militia could like had to be called together so he didn't want to disband it until he had some assurance um so he kept the militia until they could prove that they were not uh violent anymore so the militia ended up marching hold on my notes just went black here okay the militia marched into western pennsylvania um people didn't take it well necessarily but there wasn't much violence because of this and they essentially the militia rounded up suspected rebels now the instigators of the rebellion had really already fled so only two men were found guilty of treason both were pardoned by washington they didn't really find um, at that point the instigators of the rebellion but this was kind of the end where you know people were upset by this militia there weren't wasn't much violence people uh, got pardoned but overall the violence was over because you know Washington showed the authority through the militia to kind of quell a rebellion like this so um, there was kind of the known threat that the federal government could act if something like this ever got out of control so that is what basically put an end to it in uh, 1794 but the whiskey tax was actually still in effect until 1802 it was repealed under President Thomas Jefferson, um, and he was part of the Republican Party. It just said basically the tax had continued to be almost impossible to collect. People would just simply not pay, and there was, you know, only so much that the tax collectors could do to get this from um, the distillers and producers. So, yeah, it got repealed in 1802, but it was still in effect for quite a long time. So, that is basically the history of the Whiskey Rebellion. Not a super long episode, but I thought it was interesting to go back and revisit and just know all the details. So we have another similar episode like that coming up next week um, in one of the, I think it was Wisconsin um, state history episodes. I came across the Fox Wars, the Fox Indian Wars. And was like, oh, I'm going to have to go like revisit those because I don't have time to get into all the details. And next week is the week that we get into all the details because that too is very interesting history. And I'm trying to, you know, if I make a note of something in one episode and say, okay, I'm going to need to go back and cover that, that I actually go back and cover it. So there might be a little shorter episodes the next couple of weeks because it's so, such kind of little um, interesting events here. But... Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you learned a lot. Make sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you are listening. Give it five stars and a little review would be very helpful. That is all for this week's episode and I will see you next week. Bye everyone.